0: Digital Drift Episode 23, recorded Tuesday, 22nd of April 2014. Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes.
1: Discover Planet of the Apes. where humans run wild in the jungles.
2: And the superior beings are apes. Now the tribunal has placed you in my custody for final disposition. Do you realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. An experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. And a kind of living death. I love you, Dr. Zayas!
3: This is the first of several podcasts wherein we will attempt to review each of the movies in the Planet of the Apes series. First up, there are the five original films released from 1968 to 1973. Now, at the time of this podcast recording, we've only seen the first of these five, so we have no idea about the other four. They could be brilliant forgotten gems you need to track down. They could be crap, best left forgotten.
0: So the original five were Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Battle for the Planet of the
3: Apes. We're going to watch and review them each one at a time. After that, we'll cover Tim Burton's 2001 reimagining of the 1968 original, which we saw back when it was first released, and we had a terrible time. Is it still as bad by today's standards? You ruined my 21st birthday with this! You're never going to forgive me for that, are you? Never. It's not your fault but it's that bad. Which was, the, which was worse, though, the film, or the fact that I took you to play Laser Quest at the Metro Centre?
0: I think the film... Then it's on to Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which acts as both a prequel and a reboot, or a pre-boot, if you will. Finally, until further apes emerge and this becomes an ongoing podcast series, we will cover this summer's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's another one of those something of the something of the something.
3: So this first film is based on a French book written five years previously. It was released on a budget just shy of $6 million on February the eighth, nineteen 1968 in the United States and was a commercial success, earning a lifetime domestic gross of $32 million. The film was groundbreaking for its prosthetic makeup techniques by artist John Chambers and was well received by critics and audiences, garnering four sequels as well as a short-lived television show, animated series, comic books and various merchandising. In particular, Roddy McDowell had a long-running relationship with the Apes series, appearing in various roles in four of the original five films, with a brief voiceover from the second film and also in the television series.
0: Before we start, we suggest you see Rise of the Planet of the Apes first. That's the recent one with Andy Serkis as Caesar. Uh, It's fantastic, as well as being uh, our point of reference, so we have to spoil it in order to discuss these films as they take place Long after the events depicted.
3: Is it likely, by the way, that Andy Circus is basically going to end up being Roddy McDowell this time round, turning up in any subsequent sequels?
0: I'd say they'd be crazy not to have him.
3: Mm. If they continue with the motion, if they continue with the performance capture, of course they're going to continue with the performance capture. What a stupid thing to say.
0: I would like it to be like Roots. So you get to follow son of Caesar and then Mm. daughter of of son of Caesar and just keep going and going down the lineage.
3: That would be pretty cool.
0: First and foremost, the year that Planet of the Apes is set is apparently 3978, which puts it some 2,005 years after the Icarus spacecraft launched give or take a few decades. This, of course, depends on whether the events of Rise of the Planet of the Apes create a slightly different divergent timeline as they take place some years after the outset of this film. Or actually, technically, they don't take place after the outset because during the outset they've been gone from Earth 700 years of our time, but for them it's only been 18 months.
3: Yeah, it's something like 2678 or something like that.
0: Yeah. Okay, folks, if your brain got Swiss cheese with us talking about the Back to the Future films, it may get more Swiss cheesed during this, because we're not even sure what we're talking about, so it's going to be even worse, or even better. After Star Trek X-Men Terminator, a certain amount of leeway is required in the relationship between prequel-slash-reboot and original story. But in rough terms, this Planet of the Apes, 1968, tells the story of what happens to the planet... Some two millennia after Caesar and his simian buddies break out.
3: Think of this series as a crash course in ape history. We watch these movies so you don't have to and fill you in on the most important points. Then you can decide from what we say if any of them might be worth a look.
0: So what we're going to do is we're actually going to, like I said, we we have literally, we're watching one film, then reviewing it, then watching one film when we're reviewing it. So we don't know what's going to happen in the next four as we, as we say this. Um, But we'll describe what happens in the film, not in too much detail, but just to sort of keep you guys abreast of it, and you can then watch these films or not. They're clearly not essential to watch before you uh, uh, watch future ones. I'd say Rise is essential to watch. In fact, I'd go so far as to say it's kind of like a a Simeon Shawshank Redemption in that I very rarely hear anybody say anything bad about it. Uh, One person I asked about on Twitter said that they uh, got to the point where, at the very beginning that scientists couldn't tell that a chimp was pregnant and they tuned out so they basically missed the entire movie uh, another person said that they had a friend who loves these first five but couldn't watch uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes to which I feel a bit sad because uh, both of these people missed a really really great film classic 68 fans of uh, Planet of the Apes may feel sad about us because after watching this film uh, it's not a terrible film at all it's actually really quite good It's dated like crazy. And unfortunately, because sci-fi has come on so seriously since then, the leaps of logic that the lead character makes or the lack of putting two and two together, which unfortunately the entire plot of the film hangs on, make the entire plot of the film quite frustrating to watch play out. Mm. Because we both wanted to know more about what was going on in the world, but because you can't... It's Earth all along. He comes back to a planet he doesn't know. Right, so we'll start with a synopsis, and then we'll have a few notes after that. Uh, so, a spacecraft, later named Icarus by a fan, travels so far and fast away from the Earth that 2,000 years have passed back home, and only 18 months have elapsed for its sleeping crew. They crash land on a planet and are surrounded by rocks, canyons, and rivers. Three male astronauts survive, including our hero, Taylor, played by Charlton Heston. The female astronaut who was supposed to assist the males in jump-starting a new civilization, more on the logistics of that later, is found to be several hundred years dead and well past her breeding prime. The three men who resemble G.I. Joe in the 70s, complete with beards they don't want because only young hippies have beards, traverse the rocky landscape. They mull over the fact that everyone they know is now dead and they wonder if they can find civilization on this new world. They come across some primitive humans dressed in animal skins eating fruit from the trees and are suddenly apprehended by clothed humanoid apes wielding rifles and riding horses. One astronaut is shot dead, the other is caught and lobotomized. Taylor is captured, though rendered temporarily and inconveniently mute by gunshot to the throat and tries desperately to convince his simian jailers that he is intelligent. At home, the modern audience is still waiting for the evidence as well. Humans on this planet are seen as something of a pest race. They scrounge for fruit but provide nothing and are experimented upon and exterminated by the apes. A sympathetic chimp scientist named Zira and her husband Cornelius are receptive to Taylor's gesticulations and later speak with him. She names him Bright Eyes because he, unlike all the other shambling, witless humans, definitely seems able to reason and at the very least ask deeper philosophical questions than where's the next bit of fruit coming from. Bright Eyes is paired up with an attractive but wordless tribeswoman he names Nova, whom he claims as his own. He remembers the world he came from as being loveless and laments the fact that he never had anybody to hold him there. The apes, led by the wiser orangutans, backed up by the more physically powerful gorillas, hold several meetings and court cases to discuss what's to be done with this angry beast. He has taken to the Forbidden Zone and shown archaeological digs that speak of a primitive species. However, the deeper findings indicate a more advanced civilization that the apes believe they sprang from. A doll is found that garbles. Zira and Cornelius are accused of heresy by a fusty old orangutan named Dr. Zaius, who would rather nobody pried into history or attempted to challenge their ancient scriptures. Finally, Taylor finds himself in front of the ruined Statue of Liberty on a beach, and there could be no avoiding the evidence that this was Earth all along. He collapses, shrieking his curses for the warmongering maniacs who blew up their own civilization. In real life, Heston later went on to become a spokesperson for the National Rifle Association, a group terrified that liberals will take their guns away and leave them at the mercy of everyone who wishes to take away what they have.
3: This film rests on three things, and two of them don't hold up. One is a twist that everybody knows. It was Earth all along. I mean, that was what everybody knew going into the 2001 reimagining, even people who had never seen the original. So the question then was, what's the new twist going to be? The ruined Statue of Liberty is on the front of this box set, so already you're spending 112 minutes waiting for everybody to catch up with what you already know going in, and a smart astronaut should deduce quickly, or at least assume it's a high possibility. The second is Charlton Heston's character of George Taylor. Following on so closely from James Bond, it seems very likely that while you may not immediately think this is a nice guy, he's a tough, steely-eyed, hard man that you want to follow the adventures of. Heston had been a major star since the Ten Commandments 12 years earlier, and was Tom Cruise levels of controlling. He had final say on the director after many rewrites. Unfortunately, nearly 50 years later, his character is a savage moron, someone you'll feel ashamed of representing our species as the most intelligent man on the planet. He's so hyper-aggressive and unreasonable that the plot has no room to move away from his tantrums, escape attempts and painfully slow comprehension that, yes, this is Earth. Then again, if you imagine that he came from the early 1970s on a divergent timeline where deep space travel was possible, his showing up here as a pathetic relic from our past takes on a meta-narrative which could make for a more engrossingly satirical film than was originally intended. The third aspect holds up as the film's chief strength the ape civilization seemingly rooted in 19th century colonial culture is taken very seriously with some obvious thought put into it the makeup still holds up because the actors beneath the prosthetics don't get self-conscious about it they embody their characters earnestly and makers want to know more it's that seriousness and unabashed delivery of a fictional ape world that ensures this film will survive the test of time even if its prehistoric leading man didn't
0: turns out it's 2,000 years into the future, so they've been gone a long time. So uh, the assumption throughout the movie is that it's some other planet. And despite the fact that being an astronaut today, if you were part of NASA, you might at least assume, since it's a, it's a habitable, breathable planet, let's just assume until we are proved otherwise that this is Earth 2,000 years in the future.
3: Yeah, especially when you then come across people who are speaking English... Using technology that you recognise, um, and and generally,
0: and you're walking around the grand Everything seems
3: vaguely familiar.
0: So yeah, it, it, the film shows its age very quickly in terms of the the social constructs that Heston brings with him. And I say Heston because there's very little character here. He's a very rough, very sort of actiony, grizzled, somewhat nihilistic man who I don't think you're supposed to like, are you?
3: Um, well, that's good, because I didn't. Yeah. I think the, His the name problem... is Taylor,
0: but I'll just keep calling him Heston, shall I?
3: The problem for me was, yes, there is a good film here, but unfortunately, the story that they have laid in front of it is getting in the way for me. What I wanted to know more about... Is the was the ape society that was the bit that caught my attention? Why do they have all of the you know? They've got this um, supposedly egalitarian society. Why do they have um, caste? layers uh, according to different species of ape why is that still there why are they um, operating on spiritual scriptures and allowing that to get in the way of their uh, advancement as a species um, but that may well come through in in the sequels so i'm actually quite interested now to see those
0: i'll save you the excitement and anticipation the sequels don't explore this it's a weird one as well because it's one of the most famous endings of all uh, cinema history, isn't it? The, the, the Statue of Liberty and the crying and, you know, you possibly, blow it
3: up, you maniacs! But possibly that's why... It's so frustrating
0: That's what I was waiting getting. for him
3: to get around to that. Yeah,
0: the, the front cover of the uh, DVD box set with all of them on it has got the Statue of Liberty. So there's no question, I- even if you haven't seen Rise, even if you've just picked up this box set, you're not asking, where are they? Even if you exist in a vacuum, they tell you where you are. If, if an alien came down to Earth right now and said, right... Show me your films starting from 1968. What's this? Planet of the Apes. Bring it on. Oh, so it's Earth then. Even if they know very little about Earth, they recognise the Statue of Liberty and the entire film becomes about waiting for bright eyes to cotton on.
3: Yes. There was another thing that made it difficult for me to to fully... um Immerse myself in this film as well. Mm. Um, and that's the Simpsons musical version.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> because every time certain things were said, or certain scenes happened, or even certain names were exchanged. Dr. Sayers, Little... Dr. Sayers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Simpsons songs were trickling through my brain. I, I can talk, every I can sing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Damn you, Simpsons! But I saw that episode of The Simpsons before I'd seen Planet of the Apes.
3: Well, same here. This is the first time I've seen it.
0: You no, we saw it together. Really? Yep. Oh, ages ago.
3: God! Did. My brain does such a good job of wiping out things I'm not wildly impressed. By. It
0: was. We saw it after the Burton one. Mm. But I mean, for, as far as I was concerned. When I was a kid growing up, there was Star Wars and then there was Planet of the Apes, which is something that came slightly beforehand and seemed to be mostly about monkeys having meetings. And I wasn't wrong. That's basically what the film is. Chimpanzees and their uh, intellectual superiors, the orangutans, meeting up and discussing... What's to be done about this angry human who exists in a society? Well, okay, right. We, we haven't really done a good job of storytelling, have we? They get off the spacecraft, uh, Chuck, Chuck and his two mates, both humans.
3: The one woman that they sent on this expedition, by the way, is killed off before the film even starts.
0: Immediately.
3: Yeah. Her, her stasis tank cracks and so she- If she'd been alive she and she'd got
0: to, to chat with Zira, is that her name?
3: Uh, the doctor, yes. Yeah. Zira.
0: Would that have passed the Bechtel test? Yes. Uh, if that, unless they were talking about bright eyes? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so I suppose as long as they're two females, that's alright.
3: Well, two uh, females who can communicate?
0: To indicate the difference in, uh, what's, uh, how they make films now and how they made films back then. Uh, when you see that the, uh, girl has, uh, been killed, in a modern day sci-fi, most likely the music would go a little bit sad and the, uh, people would, uh, react in a kind of an, oh, oh, god, this is, this is pretty terrible, uh, kind of way. Um, or there'd be a sort of like a sting and they kind of do that, but it's the sixties and it goes and it shows a desiccated corpse. Yes. So that's how they start this movie.
3: As they mean to go on. Yeah. And
1: that completes my final report until we reach touchdown.
0: We're now on full
1: automatic in the hands of the computers. I've tucked my crew in for the long sleep, and I'll be joining them soon. In less than an hour, we'll finish our sixth month out of Cape Kennedy. Six months in deep space. By our time, that is. According to Dr. Hesslein's theory of time in a vehicle traveling nearly the speed of light, the Earth has aged nearly 700 years since we left it. Well, we've aged hardly at all. Maybe so. This much is probably true. The men who sent us on this journey are long since dead and gone. You who are reading me now are a different breed. I hope a better one. I leave the 20th century with no regrets. But one more thing. If anybody's listening, that is. Nothing scientific. It's purely personal. Seen from out here. Everything seems different. Time bends. Space is... boundless. It squashes a man's ego. I feel lonely. That's about it. Tell me, though. Does man, that marvel of the universe, that glorious paradox who sent me to the stars, still make war against his brother? Keep his neighbor's children starving?
0: I had a question actually regarding the fact that it was three male astronauts and one woman to apparently populate a new world they were going to. They seem, they're quite vague about where they're going. There seems to be no direct plan. Like NASA just spe- send off spacecrafts into space and say, just keep going and eventually you'll find a planet and there you can fuck your brains out and have lots of children and, and create a new colony. That appears to be the plan. To create a stable Population. How many men and women would you actually need, and what's the ratio?
3: Well, three and one is a very obvious poor ratio because if you think about it in terms of the one woman that you've brought with you, quite apart from the fact that there is no mention of there having been any tests to establish whether she's particularly fertile or whether she's likely to be particularly fertile with any of these lucky chaps. You're you're talking one child a year. Then you're assuming that nothing goes wrong with the first birth that then means that any subsequent births are very unlikely to take place. And then you're talking about the next generation consisting of A handful of children who have nobody to breed with apart from their own parents.
0: (laughs) Within a few generations, it's Dino.
3: Well, indeed, um, whether you'd even manage to stretch to to two generations would be questionable. Um, I mean, there there is an anthropological theory that uh, the human race can be traced back to um, not one Eve, but seven Eves. Um, that there were, uh, seven female, I don't even, I don't think it's, it's not Neanderthals, but it's, it's a a level of human evolution that was sort of as close as it got to being humans before they started being called humans and that they are the seven mothers of our race, as it were. Um, so I think really, if, if you wanted to establish a new colony, rationally, you're going to need at least seven women and I would say, uh, in order to not make it so that you've then got everybody breeding with their own half siblings, I think, in all seriousness, you'd probably need three men, so that you've got enough uh, diverse lines that it's not all going to end up getting very entangled.
0: Yeah, if you want to increase the amount of men, you have to increase the amount of women to uh, to get the the variety there. But it needs to be at least so a three to seven ratio then.
3: Yeah. So okay. basically, in each in each although it probably wouldn't be work out quite so neat as this, you're talking um, uh, bo- uh, family bonds with one male, two females, and then a spare female. Oh, poor spare female.
0: <laughs> Unless she's the freewheeler who basically gets to choose where she wants to hang out.
3: Well, indeed, yes.
0: Ooh. Uh, this is creepy.
3: Either way, it's creepy. <laughs> I mean, it's
0: it, yeah, this is one of those ones where it's like, please don't think too deeply into this one. And this is sci-fi, and they're asking you to think deeply into things. just but the thing is... Well, go do, get your brain down that alleyway, but not this one.
3: Absolutely. But if you, if you start out with this one female who is basically representative of the human race's potential, and then you kill her off in literally the first minute of the film, what does that say about where you think the human race's potential is going to go?
0: Hmm now the, uh, the the tribes people out there we, we we've debated while we were watching it. They can make leather clothes, but they don 't seem to be able to communicate with each other now, I mean to the point where Nova doesn 't say a bloody word, I mean it doesn 't even make sounds she I thought she was mute the whole way through the film.
3: I suspect that 's part of her appeal
0: <sighs> to Chuck maybe um. So yeah, the, the, um, Chuck breaks out. They, they go do some exploring. They meet some humans, and the humans—it's really confusing as to exactly how evolved the humans really are, or how how devolved the humans are. Because you see, it's been two thousand years, and they've gone from having um, skyscrapers to wearing like it's—they've—they've ra- they've used Raquel Welsh in One Million Years BC as their their start their springboard for this, right?
3: Pretty much, yes.
0: You you said that there were some uncomfortable parallels with uh, the fact that they're basically um, these are like 19th century, uh, relatively civilized humans, the apes, and they're throwing nets uh, and using their um, bolt action rifles to uh, capture these humans that behave more like simians than they do, and there's uncomfortable parallels with the black slave trade routes that started in the what mid. 16th century let's make no bones about it
3: i think the the difficulty here is that um there's there's they're obviously trying to sort of make this idea of, of the roles of humans and and apes have been reversed but the humans that they catch it 's never entirely clear whether the intention is it, it's not enslavement per se when they get them back to their um, uh, their dwellings it's they're not sort of making them work or, or anything like that or or crediting them with the capability of really doing anything. They just put them in cages.
0: I think they're seen more as a nuisance because they travel around the place in pets yeah, and they, they, they eat all the to, fruit.
3: They seem to be generally trying to exterminate them, but there is a contingent of scientists who are trying to um, study them and, and perform certain experiments on them to see exactly what makes these creatures tick and whether they really maybe are more intelligent than than they would think. But if you look at them when they're running around the fields, they're clearly not animals. They're wearing clothes.
0: Which makes it kind of more um, Cro-Magnon and Neanderthals. So, I mean, you being yeah, the, the big fan of step. Clan of the Cave Bear, <gasps> where does the, the parallel lie?
3: Well, the, I mean, the, the setup in Clan of the Cave Bear is it, it's, it's slightly different, first of all, in the sense that it is... By and large, a fictional construct, um, and it's it's not necessarily the, the way it's interpreted by Gene Owl is not necessarily how the interaction between Cro Magnon humans and Neanderthal humans actually happened. In fact, a lot of people
0: I was supposed to that documentary, Planet of the Apes.
3: Well, and yeah, <laughs> right, good point. Um, but the 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 theories with that lie within that sort of this idea of these are are two types of equally intelligent but intelligent in different ways humans who have a very uneasy um, existence between each other because um, one of them is basically better at dominating the environment than the other and is therefore able to push the other out of things like caves that they want to live in and hunting grounds that they want to um, to use and um, you know forests that they want to forage in and and that kind of thing. But the, again, there doesn't seem to be any of that kind of overlap here. The apes are simply treating the humans as animals. And as you say, pests to be cleared out of their, um, their farming grounds. But at the same time, when you look at how they, the apes talk amongst themselves, they're, they're very confined to this small area for such a developed race or apparently developed race. They don't seem to go out and explore the rest of the world when, um, Cornelius brings in a map to show uh, Taylor where they are. It's a tiny area that they seem to be confined to. Yeah. And he's trying to find out because uh, where uh, Taylor and his colleagues, their ship crash landed in what the apes call the Forbidden Zone, um, which is basically all desert. And um, they're trying to find out because they think that Taylor has come from some land beyond the Forbidden Zone. Um, and they're trying to find out from him whether there are more jungles out there. Looking at the the clothes that the apes have got and the the um, the architectural style this doesn 't really speak of a group of, of people who are confined to one small area they 're wearing leather i haven 't seen any evidence of any animals around for them to get the leather from
0: also there, there 's incongruities this is not really a criticism i 'm just interested to see where they that they are and, and uh, I wanted to know more that was the thing I wanted to know more about the the way the ape society was structured because the way they speak is like 19th century Victorians and they're sort of, you know, this is entirely without merit. We are going to have a meeting and sit down and talk about what's to be done of this fellow here. And yet they also talk of heresy and forbidden zones, which is so, like, um, that is not the age of reason. That is that is the, the, the dark ages and sort of throwing stones at one's own shadow and is- like burning witches.
3: That is kind of the immediately pre age of reason though if you think about it and 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 there was um, plenty of people in the sort of 18th nineteenth century who would still have put extremely um, spiritual slants on exploration and I mean think about it evolution which is the theory that uh, Dr. Thera comes up with um, or has been working on and feels that Taylor is um, evidence that she's right. Um, this is the the, the, um, the talk that they are specifically referring to as heresy. And Darwin was not all that long ago.
0: Well, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It feels 19th century. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, uh, really the rest of the film is about how uh, um, Bright Eyes Chuck Heston gets locked in cages, tries to escape repeatedly, gets into lots of fist fights with a bunch of apes, uh, and keeps getting thrown back in and trying to prove that he is intelligent. and And then they have a lot of meetings about what's to be done about him. And eventually they travel to the forbidden zone, find an archaeological dig, and find an old, a doll. And he still doesn't get it. He's still not twigging that it's Earth. Uh, you, you, you that basically up until the point when there's irrefutable proof that it's Earth, he's able to deny it. That maybe he knew it all along, but he, he wasn't, he, he, uh, that he just didn't want to accept it or face it. He I, always I, seems I, to be looking for smart humans
3: who don't yeah, seem to be out there. I think that's, that's possibly giving him or the film more credit than it deserves, but, um, Zeus is, is talking about, um, accepting um, Cornelius and Zira's theories, if they can find proof.
0: Explain who these characters um, are. Imagine people listening don't know.
3: Okay. Um,
0: Zira is a kind scientist female ape who seems fascinated by Charles. She's,
3: she's an animal psychologist. She's basically. She thinks he can um, be uh,
0: taught to master simple tasks.
3: Yeah, she's been studying humans and she thinks there's more to them than the, the accepted view believes that there is. Um, Uh, Cornelius is her fiancé who is an archaeologist. Played by Um, Woody McDowell. He's been um, uh, studying uh, areas around the Forbidden Zone because he believes that once upon a time in the past, there was a more advanced race of men which has died back, but that they um, but his theories and Zira's theories, they kind of put their ideas together and come up with the idea that they the apes have evolved from this more evolved form of man um and that the men that they have the hu- I keep calling them men I'm sorry I'm <laughs> uh force of habit the humans that um surround them now are kind of an offshoot of that race of, of intelligent humans um and uh, dr zeus is one of the upper caste of orangutans um cornelius and zera are chimpanzees which basically means that they are only really allowed to rise so high in society and their um, their opinions are always going to be a little bit looked down on because they 're not one of the the wiser group of um, of apes um, and Zeus is sort of the guardian of the faith and um, he's the one who on the one hand it's it becomes pretty evident at some point that he thinks they're right on the other hand he will do what he can to cover up the fact that they're right in order to allow their society to continue on the way it is and this is the bit that I was really interested in mm. this was the part that I wanted to know more about And well, unfortunately, let's hope
0: that the next few films do actually well
3: absolutely but it kept getting occluded by charlton heston hitting on a cave girl who can't talk
0: well so much of the film basically well it, it's it's predicated on its twist ending which is like twilight zone it was earth all along but as i said earlier a smart person would touch down and immediately just assume it was earth a smart just anybody with an even vague amount of smarts watching a sci-fi film now would just assume it was earth yeah if you I mean, started it's, watching it's not- lost you go well they're probably dead and, and, and your assumption would have to be disproved by the events afterwards. But nothing uh, aside from the fact that there are evolutionarily impossibly evolved apes that couldn't have evolved that quickly in 2,000 years unless something happened. Until you uh, you prove that it's definitely not Earth, you just go ahead and assume that something did happen.
4: What if there's more super monkeys up at that lab? Maybe they're making an army of them up there. Holy shit! Maybe it's a conspiracy like in the X-Files. Roswell style. This little monkey could be the fucking damn dirty eight responsible for the fall of the human race. Ah! In this world gone mad, we won't spank the monkey. The monkey will spank us. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Ah! And after the fall of man, these monkey fucks will start wearing our clothes and rebuilding the world in their image. Oh, when only those as super smart as me will be left alive to bitterly cry. You maniacs! Damn yous! God damn yous all out! Not on my watch, motherfucker.
3: But this was 1968, wasn't it? So w- yep. this was before the moon landing. Yeah. So space exploration was, was fairly minimal at this point. Well,
0: that's the other thing. Uh, the, 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 um, the, the film seems to be setting its uh, like deep space travel in 1972. And then they go away for 700 years and then they go away for another 1300 years and, uh, and somehow wind up back there again. If you're gonna make it really deep space travel, which we by the way still haven't mastered, even though it's implied that uh, the Icarus also launches in Rise, um, make it a bit longer than four years after the film is about to come out. You know, just, just check ten, just check a ten in front of that.
3: I suppose they wanted to, to keep what was lost as relatively familiar
0: but he's talking about you know it's a a society where there was lots of love making but no love What the fuck are you talking about that's that's characterization because basically it's showing you a man who could look at the world that that existed in the 1960s and early 70s and see this sort of tired proud race of people who were as nihilistic as he was And all of this discovery was just happening, and all of this love was going on, and he was completely fucking oblivious to it.
3: And what does he end up allegedly falling in love with, a girl who can't talk and does nothing but follow him around?
0: Such a creepy speech, that one is.
3: It is. is, He's talking about... He's a creepy man.
0: She was going to be our Eve with our... What's his exact phrase? With a hot, enthusiastic uh, help, of course, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something
3: like that. Basically,
0: just saying that all three male astronauts would gladly Roger the shit out of her. Mm.
3: Again, not the best plan for creating a new generation of people. Yeah, One it's, child a year.
0: It's, it's a nonsensical experiment, it, it and is. Uh, it, it was. I'm, I'm assuming just you know the, the the plot again required there to only be about three people on board so that they could do away with two of them quickly and make it all about Chuck. The problem is he's such a deeply creepy, d- disturbingly simple man.
3: It, which I, kind of begs the question: How did he become an astronaut? Yeah.
0: And you pointed out um, that, that there's a. It's really hard not to compare this to Rise, mm. because that's of course the modern day equivalent. Because th- there's a many parallels with how Caesar is imprisoned.
3: There are, but if you switch the roles over, if if you look at the way um, uh, Taylor responds to his imprisonment, it is all about convincing his captors of um, what he considers to be the correct cultural um, structure, which is that he, as the human, is better than them and should be free and should be allowed to go around and do whatever he wants. And he shows absolutely no interest in saving or helping any of the other humans that have been captured, with the exception of this one girl that they've kind of given him as a, as a present. Um, and there was there was one point where um, they go to to grab her... Uh, he, he names her Nova. That's another thing. She's probably got a name, um, but in he, he makes no attempt to communicate with her. Although he's been making all these efforts to communicate with the other apes, um, he makes no attempt to communicate with her or find out what her name actually is. He just names her Nova. There's a point where they come to take her out of the cage so that they can get him and take him somewhere else. And he kind of makes a dive to stop them. And you were like, well that kind of characterizes that he's at least being protective towards her. And I I just thought, well, that to me seemed entirely possessive. That was like, no, this this is my toy and you can't take it away from me now you've given it to me. And in fact, when they separate them, the first thing he says to her is, now I don't even have you.
0: Again, was that intentional or were they pointing at him being possessive?
3: I don't know. I would love to know because the... The way he is portrayed in this to me, he is utterly objectionable and a horrible, horrible, creepy person who I just feel is the most awful representative of the human race ever. And if I, if I had any say in the humans that we permitted to go into space who might potentially end up making contact with other intelligent life, I certainly don't want Charlton Heston being the one that goes out to represent us. <laughs> I mean, obviously that couldn't happen now, but metaphorically speaking.
0: Slightly uh, backstep towards the humans and uh, how it's never really uh, cleared up how they, how they live. They're, they're advanced enough to wear animal skins. I suspect that's mainly to protect their dignity so that we don't have to... You know, 1960s audience didn't have to look at bare breasts and dicks swinging around.
3: And I'm guessing a 1960s audience never looked at it and went, hang on a minute, there are no animals around here.
0: There's horses.
3: Oh, good point. Yeah, I suppose... But riding around horses. horses. There's, there's potentially others. But the humans don't hunt.
0: Well, yeah, the humans appear to now be um, herbivorous. They eat fruit. Yeah. Which is uh, I mean, kind of like uh, uh, lowland gorillas. They they tend to they, they they humans in fact have become very gorilla-like. Only they wear animal skins. But even gorillas communicate with one another. Yeah. I believe the humans were communicating with one another, but Bright Eyes wasn't looking. Indeed. Which, again,
3: he gets so frustrated about the fact that the apes don't... That, that to me, would actually have been a really interesting slant if he had tried his hardest to communicate with the apes and be roundly ignored, and then had turned his attention to trying to communicate with the other humans.
0: But he never does.
3: But he never does.
0: So yeah, basically the uh, the camera is locked on him for the uh, duration of the movie, and again the camera is is locked. the plot revolves around the fact that oh he's not he doesn't know until the twist ending. So uh, ultimately, it's it's more the beginning of a movie than the end of a movie.
3: Actually, yes, that's a fine point. When the layer change came in the disc, I was like, what already? It's only just started, and then I realised it was about halfway through.
1: Yeah.
0: So I mean what is there left to say about this first one?
3: It's a man a Um I suppose it's worth seeing for the context, but it's...
0: You'll you'll notice several parallels but forwards to rise.
3: Yeah. But it certainly in terms of quality, it's it doesn't even come close.
0: Uh, well, for a start, I mean, uh, Lyra sat and watched Rise with absolute rapt attention, could not take her eyes away. And this isn't the first time she's seen it. She saw it go uh, uh, out a year ago as well. So if it if it vastly entertains a four-year-old and a five-year-old, I mean, that that's a truly captivating... Because it's all about Caesar. And the, uh, the he's a character that you can really get with. And unfortunately, as you say, Chuck is not exactly a model man. And you don't give a well, no, he is. fuck about him.
3: That's the thing. For 1968, he is a model man.
0: Yeah, which That's makes this film. Why I dated. have such
3: a problem with it?
0: <laughs> but to I mean, to that end, it's going to be boring as fuck for a lot of people.
3: Mm.
0: I mean, it it, it kind of needs a remake, but at the same time, it needs to be more than than what it is. Because if if you remade this,
3: if
1: if.
0: <laughs> I mean, we could really cover that when it comes to the uh, Planet of the Apes remake. Mm.
1: Really did it.
4: You maniacs! You blew it up! Oh, damn you! God damn you all to hell!
3: And in fact, there you go, they followed that um, particular oh, reimagining, line. Sorry. They followed that particular line of characterization because one of my main issues with the two thousand and one version was I don't believe Mark Wahlberg as an astronaut for a fucking second.
0: I don't believe him as a primate for a fucking second.
5: <laughs> Dear me, what are those things coming out of her nose? Hey hey,
4: watch my helmet. Uh, uh, uh. oh, uh, uh. space oh shit
2: there goes the planet
3: i think if i if i was going to characterize my particular issues with the film it is that it's not entirely clear where your sympathy is ought to lie and I don't mean that in the sense of um, I I want it more black and white I want them to make it very obvious who are the good guys and who are the bad guys I mean they don't seem to know where your sympathies are supposed to lie it's very muddled it's or um, not muddled but just not
0: I mean they could retitle it the uh, relatively civilised apes who had to deal with an insufferable prick
3: yes yes they could And, and I would watch that
0: well, you just did. <laughs> I think it's important that everybody sees this film once, but I'm not sure what would keep you coming back to it.
4: Mm.
0: By today's standards, there are literally hundreds of science fiction movies that are more thought-provoking than this. Yes. Yes. I will say now, in retrospect of having seen the whole series, that while it's not a remarkable film by today's standards, and though far more thought-provoking material turns up later, it's still worth watching this first one, even if you may end up finding it dull and objectionable. Rather like the early Bond movies, it sets the scene for later incarnations. It's also way better than a couple of the others.
1: Troy, Mac Parker. Ever hear of... Planet of the Apes. Uh,
2: the movie or the planet?
1: The brand new, multi-million dollar musical.
4: And you are starring... as the human.
2: It's the part I was born to play, baby! Help! The human's about to escape! Get your paws off me, you dirty ape! He can talk, he can talk, he can talk,
4: he, he can, can, talk, he can, can talk, talk, he can talk, he can talk, he can talk I can sing Oh help me, Doctor Zayus Doctor Saius, Doctor Zayus Doctor Saius, Doctor Saius, Doctor Zayus, Doctor Zayus, Oh, Doctor Zayus, Doctor Zayus, Doctor Seus. What's
2: wrong with me? I think you're crazy. On a second opinion! You're
4: all so lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore?
2: Of course you can.
4: Well, I couldn't before. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Sayus, doctor say Oh, doctor say Doctor says, Dr. Sayus. Dr. Zayus, Dr. Zayus.
3: Doctor says, Dr. Zayus. Doctor Dr. Zayus. Oh, Dr. Zayus. Oh, this
4: play has everything. Oh, I
2: love legitimate theater.
4: I hate every ape I see from
2: chimpan A to chimpanzee. No, you'll never
4: make a monkey out of me. Oh my god, I was wrong. It was earth.
2: 3,955. Charlton Heston as Taylor, a 20th century astronaut, space wrecked in the incredible future. Linda Harrison as Nova, a savage beauty from the enslaved and voiceless human race. James Franciscus as astronaut Brent on a reckless mission to rescue Taylor, trapped by the swaggering, brutal master race of apes who dominate the Earth. A planet shattered by the atomic war of a distant, forgotten past. Into the forbidden zone. Someone or something has outwitted the intelligence of the gorillas. Invade! Invade! Face the terrifying dangers of the Forbidden Zone with them. Engulfing you in the shattering experiences that await beneath the planet of the Apes.
1: Well, there's an intelligence working in this place. They know we're here.
2: We are determined to know what the Apes want, war or peace. The superintelligent mutants— are they human or something else? In their church, an unspeakable god.
1: Doomsday bomb.
2: Behind their faces, an unbearable secret. We don't kill our enemies; we get to our enemies to kill each other. The irresistible war machine of the guerrilla army versus the devastating secret mind weapons of the subterranean mutants in civilization's final battle. To answer the ultimate question Can a planet long endure, half human and half apes? Is it the beginning or the end?
0: So moving on, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, released in 1970. Soon after Planet of the Apes became a hit, a sequel started being considered by 20th Century Fox. Screenwriter Rod Sterling was consulted, but his ideas could not interest the studio. Then the producers turned to the author of the original novel, Pierre Boulle, who wrote a draft for a sequel called Planet of the Men where protagonist George Taylor would lead an uprising of the enslaved men to take back control of the apes as the guerrilla general Ursus wants to fight humans. But, script was rejected as it was felt that it lacked the visual shock and surprise of the original. Well, they had visual surprise and shock in the final film, but what that final film was wasn't as good as that first stupid idea sounds. Associate producer Mort Abrams then wrote story elements, and British writer Paul Dane was hired to develop them in a script tentatively called Planet of the Apes Revisited. Dane implemented his trauma of the 1945 atomic bombings and the fear of nuclear warfare on the story. Yeah, well, there, there's definitely a Cold War subtext on this one. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh. it's
3: not even that sub.
0: Yeah, okay, well, there's a text. One of the elements thought up by Abrams and Dane was a half-human, half-ape child, but despite even going through makeup tests, this was dropped for the bestiality overtones. According to Screenwriter Dan, the idea for Beneath came from uh, the end of the first movie, which suggested that New York City was buried underground. Despite the fact that Charlton Heston showed little interest in reprising his role as Taylor, studio head Richard Zanuck thought the actor was essential to the sequel, so like Sigourney Weaver in the Alien films. After some disagreement with the actor's agents, Heston agreed to briefly appear with the provision that Taylor be killed and that Heston's pay go to charity. That's nice of him, I suppose. Like, I'll do it, but I'm not putting any effort into it. You can just give my money to someone else. The writers decided to have Taylor disappear, literally, at the story's start and only return by the film's ending. And have a new protagonist for the major part in the story. For the new main character, Brent, rather well, unfortunately named, came actor James Franciscus. We, I theorized this was a sort of a Roman uh, ancestor of James Franco. Who wanted a break from formal roles such as doctors and teachers. Uh, For folks at home, just imagine Bradley Cooper, but stupid. When Zanuck was fired as studio president during production, he suggested post, add the element suggested by Heston, the Alpha Omega Doomsday Bomb, so as to finish off the series at once. This turned out to be not the case, as even before the film's release, the producers were considering ideas for another sequel. So why that ending? Now, what's the ending, you ask? Let's find out, shall we? Sharon, take it away.
3: So we begin george taylor and nova ride for a bit then taylor falls through an invisible wall
0: literally cut- that's what happens
3: yeah uh, cut to a second spacecraft with another practically identical astronaut named brent i mean li- he has the haircut and the beard and it's the outfit. like he found some charlton heston makeup in his spaceship it's like they outfit them with those before they leave. Also, he um, it
0: says 39.73, uh, which is on the clock, which is not the same as 39.78 when Heston uh, arrived
3: 39. In the 39.55. Oh, There says.
0: So, hang on.
3: I don't know. We'd have to check what it says. I've,
0: I've written it. Hang on. 39.78. So, 53. There's a huge discrepancy in the years then. Yes. It was 39.78 in the first film. So, 39.53 to 39.78. I was like, wow, he's landed in the past. Um No, he hasn't. He landed about the same time. Yes. Maybe a bit later.
3: Um Apart from anything else, the fact that he knows who Taylor is suggests. Well, no. The, the
0: idea is that I, I got that they were launched together. I just thought that he had turned up much earlier. Like, ah, right. There, there's, yes. a sub, there's a there's a subplot of that in uh, the Burton version.
3: Right. Yeah. Well, that would have been vaguely interesting.
0: Possibly. Well, yeah. The, the idea being that he goes on and and, and finds uh, like brings humans together, and then Heston finds them at the end. Mm.
3: Okay, so Brent finds Nova riding alone and goes in search of Taylor. Uh, Nova stupidly takes him to the Ape City where they witness the British gorillas. Yeah, he's impot- like, take me to
0: Taylor. And she takes him back to the Ape City where he's not there at all. No.
3: But the fact that she's even grasped that he's looking for Taylor when she was, seemed to be really struggling with the concept of names yeah. ten minutes ago... Um,
0: she, so she, she, t- so she takes she him to, takes the, him to the Ape
3: City where they witness the brutish gorillas and pompous orangutans preparing to march for war on the humans, something the hippie chimps aren't too happy with. <laughs> they have a Nova,
0: demonstration and the gorillas brutalise them.
3: Brent and Nova are captured and escape, finding their way to an old New York subway station and encountering a small, hidden group of creepy, technologically advanced, absurdly dressed, religiously fanatical, psychically powered humans who worship a holy... <laughs> when you alpha- say it like that... Well, indeed. ...who worship a holy Alpha Omega bomb designed in the 20th century with the express purpose of destroying the entire world in exactly the same way as the solar benite in Ed Wood's Plan 9 from Outer Space. Using their psychic powers, they force Brent to strangle Nova twice until he tells them about the apes. Then they take off their faces. Mm. Just going to give you a minute to absorb that one. They take
0: off their rubber faces they appear to be wearing for no reason.
3: Yes, to reveal hideous mutant faces. Brent is locked in a cell with Taylor and is psychically forced to fight him to the death. Their captor foolishly enters the cell and is killed. Nova turns up. And is killed. Another psychic woman kills herself with poison. The apes arrive and shoot the head psychic mutant, commandeering the bomb and attempting to defuse it. Taylor and Brent are gunned down, and in his dying moments, Taylor purposefully triggers the bomb, destroying the world.
0: The end. The end of the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, thank, 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 <laughs> Heston. You killed it all. Well done. What are his reasons? He basically, like, because Nova gets shot, accidentally, I might add, he decides these apes all deserve to die, so do all the humans, everything's fucked, let's destroy the world.
3: That's about the size of it.
0: (sighs) Right, this film is a piece of shit. Let's not make any bones about it. This film is a tedious fucking piece of shit. For the first half of it, it seems like a, a sort of a retread and a remake of the original *Planet of the Apes*, because Brent has to go through all the same. Oh my God, apes! Oh my God, they're talking. And then like he speaks, and they, uh, like later on when the apes meet uh, Mendez, they go, "He can talk." And I'm like, "Oh no, we're gonna go through this again." <laughs> Um but, but then when they meet the psychic mutants, it's like, well what the fuck are these psychic mutants doing here? And it's so like like fifties B movie shit. Like what the, the Simpsons do parodies of this kind of stuff for their Halloween specials, and those are shit too.
3: It was it, very It's just
0: so cheap and stupid and so cheap and stupid and cheap and stupid.
1: So you didn't like it then. <laughs>
3: No. it was very reminiscent of um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to me. That like, makes it sound way better. No, no, no. But I, I just mean in the sense that if you're going to set up um, a, a, a civilization, well, civilization, there's about 20 of them. If you're going to set up a society like this, it's so that you can laugh at it because it looks so silly.
0: The Planet of the Humans thing wasn't shocking enough. They needed to have a pl- a big plot twist. So they went out of their way to go, well, what if the humans aren't dead? What if they're still alive? What if they're technologically advanced? What if they're psychic? What if they've got a bomb? And it's like they're playing, was it Consequences? Yeah. and 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 then they the entire script on this
3: yeah writer A writes down one thing folds it over passes it to writer B who writes something completely unconnected
0: it's nonsense follows nonsense it's not even a film watching it it's not even a film And I actually kind of would have loved to have been in the audience for the first screenings of it when Charlton Heston goes oh fuck you apes and sends the entire planet to hell and, and then destroys everything, and just like it's like he presses the activation button, triggering the bomb destroying the Earth. And the film ends with a voiceover saying, "In one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium oh, in the universe, yeah, be, be specific on this one lies a medium-sized star, and one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, is now dead." Credits.
3: That was that was just unbelievable. Just such just a, a finish ending. Again, they were going for a twist. That's not a twist. That's not anything. That's not even a sentence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Also, why would anybody make a bomb that can destroy the world? I understand the politics of mutually assured destruction. I understand how crazy it is when you think about it. But how when debated in bunkers, the idea of we will get uh, missiles together that will destroy the opposing side if they... To attempt to attack us and we'll both have this ability and it's mutually assured destruction. I don't, I understand that, but who would create a weapon that could destroy the world? What is the point of using that as a preventative? That, that like, you'd be like, oh yes, but they would and it is crazy. Like, yeah, you know, you've got to have meetings about it and that you need an equal number of crazy people and funding. And when I mean crazy, I mean gibbering like can't get up in the morning without shooting someone in the face crazy. It doesn't make sense. I, un- I can. I believe an alien race would have a planet-destroying weapon because they've got to deal with things on a much larger scale. There's no point creating a weapon that will destroy the world.
3: There's nowhere you can stand that's safe to use that bomb.
0: Oh yeah. and, and this is this is the the profit of really bad sci-fi where they're asking you not to think too deeply about stuff.
3: But that's not what, see, that, that frustrates me. If that's what you want to make, if you want to make something that will, in, you have to say to people, please don't think too hard about what we're putting in this. Why are you making sci-fi? That's not what sci-fi is supposed to be about.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, can we finish on this? Because there's nothing to say, really, is there? This guy, there you pointed out that the uh, the actor, James Franciscus, um, uh, is one of those guys who's operating under this, like, super exaggerated, super intense acting style that actually seems like it might be better off in the silent era. Like, yeah, you know, I, when you I, weren't saying anything, that's... That, that's, you know, you're communicating something, that makes sense. But if you're actually speaking, it's way overkill. It's like Chris Absolutely. Claremont describing everything as it's going on while Jim Lee's also drawing it.
3: Mm. I mean, I, I, I... I have at least figured out that that's why I have such difficulty um, getting with certain films from that era. There there was a point at which acting suddenly became about a much more naturalistic portrayal and not doing things so over the top that the camera could see you. Um, and, And that's kind of the point at which I start to see a lot more films that I... Can really appreciate. Uh, there are some earlier yeah, ones. Yeah, it happened. But
0: like yeah, Billy Wilder was pretty good at getting some yeah. good, good, good performances. James
3: hoping. Dean, oddly enough, East of Eden, very good. Um, but Marlon uh, Brando.
0: I mean, I know he's kind of over the top of it sometimes, but he had kind of a sort of a, a, a mumbling, quiet, intense, sort of theatrical style.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, if if two people are talking, I want to see them talking, not declaiming at each other with wild, over the top gestures. Mm.
0: This doesn't. The other thing is, this doesn't feel like an apes film at all, really. If you look at the core plot of it, it's actually entirely revolving around this astronaut finds a bunch of psychics with a crazy bomb. The apes stuff is pasted in because that stuff is just a retread of the first film. Yeah. So this really should just have been a shitty forgotten B movie that no one remembers.
3: Indeed. But if you combine. Just as shit
0: as The Omega Man.
3: If you combine it with the first one, um, one of the things that. Again, this is thinking about it a little bit harder than it probably deserves. But the way they treat the very few females that they have in this film, pretty much all of them are the sole female representative of their society or their their community. So you've got the female astronaut um, who first lands with them, dead. Um, then you've got um, Nova, the sole female who is considered worthy of interaction from the uh, primitive humans, uh, who, dead, because she gets shot in the back. Yep. Her death is so quick and Unceremonious, considering how long she's been in this. She's literally just been allowed to speak her first word, and then she gets shot in the back. What is the point of that? She does nothing in this whole two films, and then she gets shot in the back. And then there's the- She the gets female... strangled
0: twice, almost well, drowned.
3: Well, there you go then. She's there to show that they can control the men.
0: Well, she, she's there to-, to for, so someone can die so that Charlton Heston can be like, fuck this whole planet.
3: Oh, so she's motivation. Oh, well, that's even better. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got the the sole female member of the psychic humans who poisons herself in a bathtub for no apparent reason other than that she doesn't want to get blown up by the bomb.
0: Zira is the sole arbiter of feminine intelligence. And she's Absolutely. a fucking hippie.
3: And, but you are with her throughout the whole of the first film. You are totally with Zero.
0: Well, actually, you pointed out that she and uh, Cornelius, not played in this one by, uh, Roddy McDowell, um, suddenly come on like Daily Mail readers going, yeah, oh, it's This culture like the- was pretty good and then all the gorillas started moving in, if you yeah, know what it's I like mean. They've
3: suddenly aged 40 years and they've turned into this old, All couple of those
0: African who? gorillas with their, you know, brute force and strength. Mm-hmm, yeah, if you know what um, I mean.
3: Uh, Cornelius suddenly smokes a pipe for no apparent (laughs) reason and Zira changes the the subject of conversation halfway through to start asking him whether he likes chocolate cake I mean for goodness sake this is a woman who in the first one was a psychologist and a scientist and now all of a sudden she's got all domestic
0: so yeah, it plummets. And it's not just us who thinks this. The first one got an 89% freshness rating on the one and Does This one got like 41%. So suddenly more than half the people who liked it before are like, oh, this is rubbish. On the upside, it's about to get a whole lot better. See you guys next week for Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Battle for the Planet of the Apes, all of which have a surprising amount in common with Rise and dawn and only one of which is utterly terrible uh so i have been alex shaw
3: i've been sharon shaw
0: and neural neural
3: handshake complete
5: well uh now time for one of our regular features monkey news do the jingle oh chimpanzee that monkey news
6: What what we're doing here is right, is uh just giving you a bit of bit of monkey news that's that's gone on, right? Where a monkey's been involved in it. Good little story in that. Yeah. Uh are you familiar with the one that went into space? The first uh, the first sort of thing they ever sent up there? Before man did it and all that. You see, this is what annoys me with it really. Armstrong gets all the all the glory, but do you know who went up there before before him? A monkey. Yeah. And what happened is they taught it um what buttons to hit at the time you know, that it needed to hit them and, and the way they did this was like give it bananas. It was like hit the red button and it hit the red button and they'd give it a banana. Right. And you go right, reverse is the green one, hit the green one and then you do that and go there's a banana and then you go right, hit reverse and it go and get a banana. Right. Hit the red so it was taking commands on like headphones.
5: Right but how were they giving it banana? Is that, that, that how you learn to do radio? <laughs> how were they giving it the banana?
6: What do you mean? No, well, this is before it went. You, do, you wouldn't right. just go and put a monkey in it and go, there you go, get on with it. They sort of put him in one of them capsules that you get. Yeah. And they were, th- on headphones. I, I don't
5: believe this happened.
6: Well, I'm telling you the story now, so the monkey I don't sat think
5: they trained it to do anything. I think they sent it up there and they put electrodes coming out of it to no, see what, what... it uh, wasn't it any of
6: that. They did a thing like they do. Like no. Like they can with animals. If you give something, uh, you know, like a treat, you can teach it how to do it. It's just like a dog, isn't it? When it's you, called
5: Pavlovian conditioning. However... That was to see if it would salivate or go over to no, a particular it, corner, yeah. not if it could control a spacecraft. <laughs>
6: next one up. It's so the next one up. It, as far as the, the monkey's not sat there going, oh, I'm a bit under pressure it's a rocket. <laughs> all that's knowing is, I'm getting a banana if he hit that button. That's all the monkey's thinking about.
5: Right? <laughs> they wouldn't but, but billions well, of space dollars. how can
6: they be sure that it's going to press the button at the right moment? Because it's got headphones on. It's not like willy nilly. It's not just like pop it in <laughs> there. Nilly, and who's that? Well, what's to stop it from just hitting it any old time? Because it's a monkey and because it's not a human. Because he's trained now. But oh, he's anyway, trained. He's so fully trained. Yeah. Go so on. what happened is anyway. Oh, this is
5: absolute rubbish.
6: They pop the monkey in there. Yeah. He's got his headphones on, they're going, right, hit the green one. And uh, I think there's something there that a little banana comes out to keep the same. <laughs> no, you're
5: making this up. I'm not, it's the same. There's but... no way that they made a, a, a right, spacecraft so con- that had a banana <laughs> dispenser. Right. There's so... no way in this world that they made a spacecraft that could go into outer mm. space, right? So, so, what, a so manned so by a monkey mm. with a banana dispenser.
6: So you're saying that it's easy to send something up to space, but you don't believe there's a little banana machine.
4: Right, okay, so, so.
6: So, it comes to the launch day, monkeys, monkeys sat in there, uh, everyone's ready, bananas are stocked up and all the rest of it. They go, right, hit the green button. Right, and the rocket goes off and what have you.
5: No, they would not make the monkey launch the rocket. Carl, so, you are, you are living in a, so, a cartoon world. So
6: the rocket goes off,
5: right? This is absolute bollocks! It's, it's all going well. You are, you, I mean, I don't know it's what all, you're gonna... It's he's, not going well. Going There's, well. No going There's no way a monkey launched a rocket. There is no way a monkey launched a rocket. You idiot! It's all
6: going on. So they go and hit the left button, and, and it goes the left. left
5: like oh, so, well-known spacecraft command. This is Houston. Hit the left button. <laughs> oh, brilliant. This is what happened in 5013. Hit the left button. So it, it, are, uh, it goes left. left. Yeah, it yeah. goes left.
6: So it goes left. and so it's going away.
4: Left! It yeah. goes yeah. left! Yeah.
5: No, the moon. You're so goes, going
6: right. It goes It goes for the moon, everything. Everything's going well. Right. Uh, they get up there. It does whatever it does. Hit reverse. It comes back. <laughs> <laughs> right? So then you are so, honestly you are
5: brain dead. So You're one of the most stupid people that I would rather have the monkey well, drive listen, me home
6: than you. So the thing is so it lands back. Yeah. It does a good job and everything. It gets out. Um and this it's is, this sick is of bananas. This is where this is where it turns a bit sad because after it done that mission, <laughs> right? Because it happened and it, and it was all safe and everything. The next one would have been to send man. Right. So the monkey enjoyed it and it was like, well, I want to do it again, right? But they were like... So wait,
4: how did
5: they know that? How did they know just, it was? Just, the way it looked and what have you. It was like...
4: Fuck <laughs> off! Oh, just the way it looked! <laughs> so, you, are,
5: you are a maniac. So
6: the thing is though, right, so after it had done that, it was on such a high, right, <laughs> yeah. it could, it could never get that high again. Turns there was nothing, drugs. there was nothing that it could do.
5: Went on tour, did it?
6: It did, it, it, it sort of ended up killing itself. Because it could never, never get that buzz that it right, got. Right, that was
5: absolute bollocks. None of that is true, except <laughs> they sent a monkey into space. And I'll, and I'll, mm. um, I'll check that. Absolute drivel. So
6: it, in your mind, it committed suicide. It had a, it went on a crazy bender, of drinking drugs, and women.
4: And like then, it does happen, you hear about it. found it. in you a motel room.
0: It. I now know in retrospect that these five films exist in their own separate timeline to the circus movies, with the Burton reimagining occupying a third, pocket universe. I feel like we haven't done many aspects of this first film at least justice. The spaceship flight, rocket crash, existential malaise, action, escapes, chases, captures and philosophical musings are all noteworthy in the original Planet of the Apes for being good for their time. But by today's standards, with the above being in pretty much every sci-fi movie now, many of them exceptionally handled and memorable, all of these in the original Apes seem like the earliest, most basic Lego kits in comparison to today's complex masterpieces in bricks. In fact, the Lego movie may be this generation's Planet of the Apes. The performances and delivery are by turns rigid and spasmodic. I know now that Kim Hunter and Roddy McDowell didn't come into their own until films 3 and 4, under different direction. Taylor in particular, as we've said too often, is an awful character, not least because he hasn't the wit to communicate non-verbally. Robbed of speech, you or I could easily mime to a sympathetic captor simple movements to indicate intelligence, and indeed, loss of vocal abilities the hands-together sign for please, eye movements up-down to indicate thinking rather than just staring angrily, supplication but with reservation and conveyed quid pro quo, everything Caesar was capable of in either McDowell or circus incarnation. And all, of course, because the plot hinged on the apes being unaware of Taylor's intelligence for far too much of the story. For its time is something a lot of other critics fall back on, but not me. I always like to judge things as they are today, and as it is today, Planet of the Apes will not grab new viewers in the manner that Rise will. It will retain its long-term fans, and it has far more than earned its place in history. What really counts is its legacy, rather than how the film plays out now. In effect, imagine an early Star Trek episode, with a Twilight Zone ending and no humour, and you're there. Ancestor of all apes, though, I am so glad it existed so that we can continue the story in Rise, Dawn, and probably Breakfast of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, uh, one last thing. While I have been very liberal with the monkey references, I am fully aware that the four extant genera of great apes, which of course have no tails and are far more intelligent, include only the chimpanzee, the gorilla, the orangutan, and the human.
4: Code monkey get up, get coffee. Code monkey go to job code monkey have boring meeting with boring manager rob rob say code monkey very diligent but his output stink his code not functional or elegant what do code monkey think code monkey think maybe manager wanna write goddamn login page himself code monkey not say it Loud, code monkey, not crazy, just proud. Code monkey like Fritos. Code monkey likes Tab and Mountain Dew. Code monkey, very simple man with big, warm, fuzzy secret heart. Code monkey likes. Lucky have You think so?